Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. On today's Deal Deep Dive episode, we're joined by Kyle Root. Kyle started investing in real estate in 2020 and was able to scale his real estate portfolio to 70 units in just two years. At age 26, Kyle quit his W-2 job and focused solely on real estate investing. Now at age 28, he continues to scale his real estate business as well as coaching others how to build wealth through real estate investing. Now let's welcome Kyle Root. Kyle Root, thanks for joining us today on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm super excited to hear about your journey. I mean, we're similar age, so I'm excited to hear your journey here today. And we can dive into your first deal that you invested in. Before we do that, though, Kyle, want to take a minute or two and just tell the people a little bit about yourself, who you are, kind of how you got to where you are right now? Yeah. First of all, thanks, Trent, for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So just... Quick little overview of me. I'm 28 years old, started buying real estate the end of 2019. You know, did a lot of, probably like a lot of your listeners. I was working a W 2 job, went to college, got a degree, ended up working construction as a construction manager for an industrial construction company. So we were working on $100 million refineries, power plants. And just kind of being around that environment is very, you learn a lot. Like you learn a lot about scheduling, you learn a lot about budgeting, how to negotiate contracts, things like that. And like many people, I was listening to all the podcasts, listening to all the book, like reading all the books. Every time I was in a vehicle, I was just information, information, information. And it was, yeah, 2019, working for about three years as a W-2 employee outside of college. And I just knew early on, I'm like, I got to figure something else out. And we'll get into the detail, like specific of the property, but ended up buying my first one end of 2019. And since then just scaled to, I'm a little shy of 70 units right now. We're selling some of our bad ones off, but yeah, just kind of an overview of me and where we're at today. Awesome. One thing I like that you said there is a lot of people are in a similar position where they're in a W-2 role and they are really good at absorbing a ton of info, especially when it comes to wanting, you know, when you want to get into real estate investing, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you listen to Bigger Pockets, you, you listen to all these podcasts and read all these books and absorb the information. And I've found that a lot of people, especially some of the people I've talked with in my friend group, are familiar with those educational pieces and the information that's out there, but they never do anything with it. And one thing that sounds like you did is you kind of started learning. You might, may not have known everything perfectly, but you just dove into it and said, hey, I'll figure it out on my way. And I just know that this is something that's going to benefit me in the long run, which I applaud you on. 
what are some of the daily habits or the tasks that you do on a daily basis to be able to quit a W-2 job after only two years investing in real estate? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think a very common term is analysis paralysis, right? You can basically analyze yourself out of every single task, every single property. I mean, depending on how you run your numbers, you can basically tell yourself it's a great property or a terrible property. You know, it's just the way it goes. As far as it goes, the daily habits, I mean, I'm not saying this is the key to success, but this is what works for me. I get up early. I get up at four o'clock. I read. So every single day I'm reading 10 pages, whether it's an inspirational book, motivational. I'm not really big into like the hoorah type moments. I'm pretty interested in like the intricacies of why we do what we do as human beings. So I read a lot about like psychology and things like that. So waking up early, reading, going to the gym. And by about seven o'clock, I've got everything right. And if, you know, people that have worked out early in the morning, I don't know if there's a better way to drink your coffee than, you know, working out. It's something that energizes me for my day and then going into my day, right? So I've already got, I've read my book. I got up early. I've already done a lot in the first three hours of the day. And at that point, I'm hitting the ground running. And I was doing this before I even left my W-2 job, you know, some of the things that are kind of circulating right now in the industry as a whole is marketing, right? Like, or getting around big groups of people trying to go to these meetups, which is great. But people also are being pulled at their W-2 job to go to happy hour. There's always a reason, right? There's always a reason to leave work and go do something with all your coworkers. When I was working as a W-2 employee, people were, they literally called me the no man because I said no to everything. I said, no, I wasn't going out to drink. Not that I didn't want to. It was just, it didn't align with where I wanted to go. It was like, okay, I either go drink on a, you know, a Wednesday with all these coworkers or I go home and I research and I read and I reach out to realtors. So I was doing a lot of those things where everyone was saying yes. I was saying no, and I was not just saying no to go sit at home and sit on the couch. I was actually taking actionable steps. And at that time, it was about reading and researching. So I'd go home and just research. So long story short, I guess it'd be, I was saying no to everything that people were saying yes to. Yeah. So you took that hyper-focus on your goals and the things that you wanted to achieve and accomplish. And you, yeah, I mean, you honestly just didn't let yourself get deterred from that or get off the path that you were trying to get yourself further down, which is really cool. I see that you have a wedding ring on. Just kind of a side question. How does your spouse feel about the whole real estate investing, leaving a W-2 job? Were you investing in real estate prior to getting married or was this started after you got married? I owned one property before I met her and I never realized how many, I never realized how many relationships that are out there that hinder someone's ability to execute an idea. And luckily, my wife, Station, she's been amazing, Trent. I mean, it's amazing. She supports me in every movement that I do. She trusts me. The other piece to this, though, is I talk to a lot of people and like, my wife doesn't trust me or she doesn't think that I'm going to be able to go execute on this. And then I ask them about their track record. I'm like, well, tell me a little bit about what you've done in the last two, three, four months. It's like, well, I haven't read any books. I haven't done any research. I'm just presenting an idea with no framework. So like, I think it's very important that I was able to show Stacia that, hey, I've done one deal and it went okay. I learned a lot. This is my plan for the future. And she was able to see three, four properties kind of work itself out and cash flow. Once she was able to see the picture, 
I think she was on board more. And since then, she's just really supported. I think it's hard. I think it would be really hard to try to convince somebody why it's a great idea right now. Because everyone's talking about interest rates, the market's collapsing, you know, all these things that's going on with the market. And it could be difficult to try to convince, you know, somebody that that's a good idea for our household to go do. The reason I asked that, because my wife and I are kind of in a similar boat where we actually bought our first property together. It was a duplex just to live in one side. And so she was struggling to see the long-term picture. But like you said, a couple properties, few properties in, you start seeing the benefits and the rewards of it. And now it's a lot easier to get on board with the whole idea and the strategy. That's the only reason I asked that. Going back to that deal that you were talking about, you said you owned one property before meeting your wife. Let's talk about that property. I know it was your first one. I believe it was a duplex, if I'm not wrong. Why did you buy this duplex? How did you find the deal? And what were the metrics on it that encouraged you to actually buy the one that you ended up buying? So it was a side-by-side duplex here in Wisconsin. And kind of going back to what I was talking about, like analysis paralysis, I was reading all the books, I was doing all the research, I had it all, I couldn't fathom picking up another book or listening to other podcasts without taking action. I mean, you've got Grant Cardone telling you to only buy multifamily, then you've got, you know, Chris Crone saying only single family. And I'm just like, I've got to figure something out, right? Like I got to get into it. Ended up setting up my team real estate agent. I was able to get, I knew that eventually I was going to be moving back to Wisconsin. So at this time I was traveling for construction. I wasn't living here full time. And eventually I wanted to get back here. So I ended up got a house hack, basically this duplex. And I was getting funneled in from my realtor. I was getting tons of deal flow. I was analyzing them. They weren't working out. Like from a math standpoint, the way I was running them, I'm like, this just isn't going to work out. And I ended up leaving. I was out in Monterey, California at the time. I ended up leaving there, coming back to Wisconsin on a travel weekend. Just took a long weekend, came back here, walked a bunch of properties with my realtor. Already had a pre-approval from my lender at 5% down. And we walked probably 10 properties. Ended up coming to one that I liked. I asked, it was listed at 197.5. And at the time, I'm like, geez, I'm like, I wonder if we can knock a couple thousand off. Ran my numbers. I'm like, okay, I think we can cash flow about 500 bucks a month on this. Once I move out, I'll be paying about three to 400 bucks a month of my own money into it. And then once I move out, we'll be in the 500 range cash flow. And I sent her a message. I said, hey, what do you think? Do you think we can get this thing for 193, which is, you know, about four grand less? And what I know now, four grand in the grand scheme of things, isn't really a lot of money. But then I thought I was winning. I'm like, dude, I'm winning one over on them. You know, like I got them good now. Got the offer accepted, put 5% down. Interest rate at that time was like four and a half percent. And just some like round math. I don't have it down to the pennies here, but my mortgage was about 800 bucks. Each side would rent for 750. So the one side was 750. I was living in the other side for six months. And it was going good at the time. I'm like, I went from, you know, paying a thousand six hundred bucks out in California. Now I'm paying a couple hundred bucks a month, got rid of my largest expense. Things are good, right? And then maintenance started coming up and repairs and vacancy that I wasn't prepared for. I'm like, geez, this isn't it, right? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like confidence started deteriorating. And at that time, I was able to start reaching out to other people. When I moved out, I handed it over to a management company and we were only, I was making maybe 150 to 200 bucks a month. 
my math was wrong, didn't account for management, didn't account for vacancy, capital expenditures. I didn't account for any of that stuff. So really at the end of the day, after having it for about two years, we basically broke even. And I say we, because my wife ended up getting married at the time. But the problem is, here's the biggest learning lesson, is that it, again, this goes back to me not knowing or doing the right due diligence. I ended up coming across a management company that we had a great conversation with. And I was just going back and forth and I was telling him about this property that's not going well. And I told him the area that it was. And he said, well, what are you renting it for? And I told him at the time, it was about 800 bucks a month. Tenants paid for the utilities. And he told me, he's like, that is so below market value. And again, I didn't even know. I didn't do my own research. I was just like, of course, these management companies know more than me. They just told me they managed 500 units. Well, if anyone's listening, just know that the more units someone manages doesn't mean that they're a good management company. This company at the time was managing 300 units. He's like, no, we should be running this thing for a thousand bucks a month. And to me, I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm missing out on 200 bucks a month each side. So 400 a month total, 600 bucks a month in cash flow. ended up moving it to a different management company. And yeah, we started making money again. And again, 2020 happened, 2021 happened. And that's not going to be a normal thing, right? It went from me buying at 193 in 2019. And by 2021, I was able to sell it for 260 with it was in a good area. And there's no reason, you know, normal times in the Midwest that it's going to appreciate 75,000 or 70,000 over a course of a year and a half. But that's just the power of real estate, having an asset, holding it, And as long as you hold it long enough, you'll be profitable. But yeah, man, that was kind of my first property, kind of the first deal. I know there's a lot there, but yeah, that was kind of it. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. So when you first purchased that deal and you were running your numbers, somehow you came up with a rental rate of 750. When you purchased that property, did you inherit tenants or was it vacant and you leased it out for 750? Yeah, I inherited tenants, kicked one of them out. When they moved out, I went in there, cleaned it up, fresh coat of paint, honestly, just enough for a tenant to move in. So I think I put like 5,000 into the one side. The one side that was continued to be leased, I moved them over. So they were paying like 650 and I moved them over to the freshly remodeled one, raised rent a hundred bucks and ended up living in the side that the tenant just moved out of. Okay. And then you also mentioned something about vacancy and maintenance. And so being in Oregon, we have a market that, you know, I like to call it a hybrid market where you can find some deals that cash flow, and then you can find some deals that are more an appreciation focused investment. And then you can find some deals that have both. I don't own any real estate in the Midwest, Wisconsin, you know, it's all Oregon right now. 
how does analyzing a deal like you're talking about where the purchase price is 193 and your rents for both sides are going to be a thousand, presumably when you have the new management company. So that deal is bringing in over 1% of the purchase price gross monthly rents every month. When you're analyzing a deal like that, how do you work the maintenance or the CapEx numbers into that analysis? Are you setting aside a certain amount of the rent or just a certain amount flat fee every month? Doesn't matter what the rental rates that you're working with are. I set aside, first of all, I've never bought again in the area that I bought. The area that I bought is like if someone was going to, it's strictly set up for house hackers or people that are interested in buying a place and living in. It's probably closer to like an A minus neighborhood where in the Midwest, your cash flow is probably C to B neighborhoods. So that's all I buy now. So one, I didn't understand the neighborhood either. I put for capital expenditures in this, again, this is something that I didn't think about until now that I've got 70 units is depending on how you remodel properties. And as you keep accruing them depends on how much you should put aside for capital expenditures and repairs and so for me, I buy everything is under four units, either a single family home, duplex, triplex, fourplex. And I now I basically remodel all of them to the exact same. I'm buying in C to B neighborhoods. And we're putting, again, depends on where our cash reserves are, but anywhere between like three and 5% for each category. So capital expenditures and repairs, we pay 9% to our management company. The other thing to keep in mind that I think a lot of people overlook is let's say you have 10 properties and you are like, okay, I want to have 10 grand set aside for every single property or 50, whatever your number is. For easy math, let's just say it's 10,000. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I knew I wanted to do or that I could do is as I kept scaling, I didn't necessarily need 10 grand per property because you look, if you have 100 properties, what's the if you have 10 grand for 100 properties, I mean, that's a pile of liquid sitting in a bank account, right? Like you could probably continue to dwindle that as your reserves kept going. And that's what I kept doing. So I think initially having strong reserves is super critical. But as you keep growing that unit count, the amount of reserve per property, not total, but per property can go down. And that was something that I was able to do as well. That makes sense. The reason I asked that is because Every time I've analyzed, I've looked at Indiana, for example. Every time I've analyzed the deal in Indiana, I see great cash flow compared to this, you know, to the purchase price. But then I'm using construction and capex numbers from Oregon, where it seems as if you have a property that you know you're setting aside 250 bucks a month for capex, and you need a new roof. Well, that just wiped out your capex plus your profits for the year. So I was curious to see how you work that into your management and your basically your asset management of your portfolio being in a market that has better cash flow. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So one of the things that we do right out of the gate is I don't necessarily say, okay, month one, we're going 5%, 5% right out of the gate. What we do is we build up to a certain reserve amount. So if let's say a property is rented for a thousand, we're cash flowing 200 bucks a month, we're going to take you know, our point is to get to $5,000 on this single family home to put into our reserve account. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need the cash flow today on new ones that we buy. So I'll take all the cash flow and I'll just keep dumping it into the reserve account, reserve account until I hit my kind of my threshold on where I need to be. And then I'll start pulling some of the cash flow for myself. 
And at that point, we implement about 5% of capital expenditures, repairs, things like that. And again, like I was just mentioning, here in the Midwest, you've got a lot of old houses, a lot of beat up homes, like the cash flow is good. The cash flow is really good, but your repairs are probably going to be higher than, you know, a lot of the areas that are around outside of the Midwest. Like I know that there's a lot of investors that I work with that are down in Florida and their repairs are significantly less than mine. And we have snow removal. So there's a lot of things that come with snow removal and gutters and flooded basements that a lot of people don't think about. They just look at the Midwest. They're like, well, geez, I can buy a $50,000 house and rent it for a thousand bucks a month. Right. And it's like, there's a lot of other things that go into it. Right. So I guess now that you've, obviously you've scaled your portfolio to much larger than one duplex. What do you see yourself doing in the next 12 to 24 months, given the current interest rate market, the current uncertainty with everything going on? What's your plan for the next 12 to 24 months when it comes to your portfolio? We are, and I keep saying we as my wife, we are looking at selling off all of our poor assets. So we have a certain cash value. If we're not over two month and we've shown several, like six months in the negative, we're selling those off. We're trading poor assets for good assets. We're also analyzing our interest rate. So we're not going to go sell a 4% interest rate and go buy at 7.5% without the cash flow being there. Like we're still buying properties that cash flow well, but we're analyzing our current portfolio. And this is one thing I want to mention, and I'll kind of, I know I get sidetracked here, but when people are looking at their portfolio, a lot of times people don't realize how much extra cash flow is actually being taken out of their own portfolio. Like if you look at your portfolio and you have a bunch of interest rates, and again, I'm talking about like futuristic stuff that you're locked in at 7%, just because you're cash flowing 150 or 200 bucks today, in five years and 10 years, when interest rates change, you're going to be able to do a rate term refinance and you're going to be able to be in a way better position. So like, I think a lot of people are just saying, I'm not buying today because of, you know, 12 months, 24 months of what's going to happen. We're still buying, but we're just getting rid of our 1910 houses and 1920s where there's asbestos and things like that. So if there's a roof coming up, we're getting rid of our bad assets and we're looking at more, you know, plus 1960 homes that don't have the asbestos on them, don't have the big repairs, they have more modern look, will yield a better tenant. So doing a little bit of trading, I think at the end of this year, we'll be sitting around 100 units. We're buying between two to three properties a month right now, but also we're selling two to three. So we're kind of just changing hand in hand. And we're just, to be honest, we're just trying to create a stronger portfolio because we could sit here and talk about what's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months. But in my opinion, none of us really know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. None of us really know. So right now you're increasing the quality of your assets as well as acquiring more of them as we go forward. Are you 1031 exchanging these assets when you are trading them? We are. So not all of them. Some of them we ended up actually moving pretty quickly because we found some off-market guys that were pretty interested in 1031 exchange. Took longer than I expected, but we are setting up right now to do that. I haven't fully seen it out, haven't executed a 1031 exchange yet, but we're setting that up and I'm I'm excited to go through it. I'm curious, and I know this is your interview, but do you have any experience in it? Have you done any? Personally, no. 
because I haven't gotcha. sold any of the, our assets, but I have, I'm a real estate broker as well. And so I have worked with a client that actually did a 1031 exchange from a business that he sold into real estate. It was hectic until the properties were identified, but once we got them identified and in contract, it was very smooth. It helped him. I think he saved probably like 250, 300 grand in taxes or deferred it, you know? So for him, it was awesome. And I have seen the process. And if you find a good company to work with, they make it pretty easy. I mean, what an incredible, I mean, the 1031 exchange, what an incredible like tax strategy, right? I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. One thing kind of backtracking that I did want to talk about is you mentioned something about interest rates. And if a deal is cash flowing right now and you're running your numbers with the current interest rates, it honestly doesn't matter what the rate is. You could tell someone that you have a 47% interest rate, but if the deal cash flows and is profitable, 47% interest doesn't really matter or it doesn't make a difference. And a real life example of that is my wife and I's first property was a side-by-side duplex similar to yours. And we bought it at like a five and an eighth rate. And six months, maybe six months later, this was in the end of 2018, in like July or June of 2019, we were already doing a rate and term refinance. We went from five and an eighth to four and a half. And we still have it at four and a half today. But when we moved out of the property, I ran the numbers recently. We basically increased our cash flow by 200, 250 bucks a month just because we did the rate and term when we did it. And yeah, we could have done it again when rates were in the threes or whatnot, but I wasn't concerned with that because I know rents are going to continue to increase, especially in the area that this one's in. And so it went from cash flowing 500 bucks a month to now it's cash flowing about 1300 bucks a month total, not per unit, but total, which like you talked about earlier, the power of owning real estate, you're able to increase rents. And if you can adjust the interest rates when they improve, you're just going to increase your cash flow down the road, which is a real life example I wanted to give because you mentioned, you know, not getting caught up on where interest rates are at currently. So, yeah. Yeah. And if I guess just if I could give an example, it's kind of analytical, but I hope if people can follow it, it could be really, really beneficial. And I don't hear many people talking about this. Another piece with these interest rates that people don't think about is, and this is kind of my plan. Let's say I'm locking in at 7% and I'm on a 30-year note. In 10 years, let's say they drop 2%. So I can do a rate term refi. I went from 7% to 5% and that increases my cash flow. What I've also done is I've paid off my debt over a course of 10 years. So my amortization went from 30 to now 20 and let's say for easy math, I went from 100,000 to 80,000 on my principal. Mm -hmm. What my plan is, and again, a lot happens in 10 years, but Kyle sitting today, this is my plan. My plan would be to refinance the rate, refinance the current debt amount. So I went from being amortized at 30 years for $100,000. So obviously your mortgage is significantly higher. I'm going to leave the current debt at 80,000 and keep the same amortization. So basically my loan would look at 5% over 20 years. So the payoff is the exact same, but my principal and interest payment is going to be at the debt of 80,000. I hope that makes sense, but therefore like you're increasing your cash flow in three different areas and still going to be able to pay off at the same amount if you're the person that, you know, doesn't always do cash out refinances and take money out and out. But that's another you know area that you could look at in the future for other people. 
Yeah, I haven't thought about that at all. So I'm glad you brought that up. That is a strategy, especially if you're someone that wants to have a handful or however many paid off properties, and then you can continue to leverage some of the other ones that you own. That's a good strategy to insulate yourself a little bit in case something does hit the fan down the road. So I like that idea. Kyle, do you have anything else you want to share today? Is there a place where people can learn more about you, connect with you? And if so, where can they find you? Yeah, I think Instagram is the best place. Just KJ underscore root is the best place to go. I put out a bunch of free content there and I love just talking to people. I love reaching out and people reaching out to me or just having good conversations. I think if anyone's going to kind of get started, just know that things are going to be okay. Like as long as you hold real estate long enough, it will work out. And after you're just know after your first deal, it gets easier. Your second gets easier than your third and fourth. You get better at analyzing. Just know your first one is probably going to be your hardest one. And it gets better after that. And most of the time you'll also develop the real estate addiction after your first one. So it not only gets easier, sure. but it gets more fun when you're doing it. <laughs> I like that. That's well, it. Kyle, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you sharing about your first duplex in Wisconsin. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.